there, and welcome to a very special edition bonus episode of Show Some Respect. Tom Wickham is talking. Who saw this happening? Two episodes in a week? What? Has he lost his job? Not yet. Although I do have a lot of co-workers coming to a comedy show I'm doing tomorrow, so who knows? By the time this is out, things may change. By the way, it might be... I don't know when I'm going to put this out. I might just put, I might just put it out this album. Whoa, could you imagine that kind of drop? Could you imagine? I'm just going to break the internet. It's going to be crazy. Um, I thought, you know what? I, I always kind of like it when uh, people do uh, these kind of Q&As and stuff on uh, on their Instagrams. And I thought this is a good way to engage with the audience, which I've been told is a good thing. So let's see, this may this may fall on its face. It might be all right. Um, I, a lot of these questions and uh, briefs are from the same person, and I'm going to have to uh, really work hard to cover that up because it doesn't look great. But uh, look, you know, I'm going to answer a few questions. If, I think if this is out before Friday the 20th, Friday the 20th, I am doing a comedy show. It's a comedy benefit uh, for cancer research. Uh, at Kinsella's at Oxford Street. If you wanted to come along, there are still tickets available. We'd love to see you there. It'd be great to get as many people there as possible. But let's jump into it. Let's let's do some questions. Here we go. Why are middle-aged men getting mullets? I've seen two this week, and it's terrifying. That comes from Lucas Brooks. Thanks, Lucas. I appreciate the message. Middle-aged men's new to me. I've seen a lot of young men getting mullets. I think middle-aged men have probably historically always had the mullet, where maybe we're only just kind of recognizing it. Because, look... I think we are seeing more mullets around at the moment. I think the difference is we're seeing more mullets from demographics we're not used to seeing them from because somebody, maybe Ryan Pappenhausen, has convinced the world that mullets are stylish and I don't know how we did... This is, okay, this is, this is the problem. This is the fucking problem. This is the problem is irony while also being the only thing I do in stand-up comedy and really, really hoping pays off, is also... uh, It's just shit. I mean, I guess there is a lot that has happened in the world of fashion which has just started off as pure irony and then has worked its way into being supposedly stylish. And the mullet is the latest example of that. I can think, you see these like 90s style like Harley Davidson t-shirts or people wearing really aggressive... Watch watch The Bachelors and see what the fucking drummer wears where he's wearing like a sparkly Jaguar shirt. That started with irony. That started with, isn't this fucking stupid to wear? And then after a while, someone was like, no, I think it's cool. I I have uh, family soon to be uh, by law, not blood, who were paying paying hundreds of dollars for mullets. Going to hair salons with professionals who usually would be applying perms to misguided women's hair and instead uh, are, are giving young liberal arts students and aspiring aspiring web designers $100 mullets, for th- which I, I could do. Anyone who has a razor and two hands could give you a mullet if they could bear being around someone who wants... You really, what's, that's what you're paying them for, is to put up with you, the person who has decided to get a mullet in 2023 despite also having a tertiary education just really helping yourself to blue collar blue collar culture 
going full blue collar face, uh, which is a term I've stolen from my friend Alex Milenkovic, which I like a lot. I don't know if I got it right. I think he said blue collar. Anyway, whatever it is, it's really it, so. It starts with irony. It always does. It always starts with the same way that you'll see some people now wearing socks with sandals, who clearly under like are trying to look good. The same way that Balenciaga can sell. Spent, they can charge thousands of dollars for shoes that you would have embarrassed to see your dad wear a decade ago. Now people are wearing proudly. If you see, you go to like a, a high end sneaker shop, like or go to David Jones, go to the expensive part of the sneakers of the sh- of the shoe floor. They're they're gross. They are the ugliest looking things, and people are paying twelve hundred dollars for them. It blows my mind. And it's just, it's just the worst of human culture. So, Lucas, I don't know what, I don't know why men are insisting on this, but it's I'm with you. It's no good. It's it's no good for anybody. Um, M. Fenn says, "I'd like to see Prince Harry covered. I would also like to see Prince Harry covered uh, from 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 toe to head in uh, in vis in a viscous substance, so he could slowly drown. Is that too much? It might be too much. I, I'm not even angry at Prince Harry." I am angry at the coverage we have all given Prince Harry. This was a man who was never going to be king in his life and so wore a Nazi uniform to gain some attention and it worked and then got even more attention from marrying the chick from Suits. What? Why? Why are we paying attention to any of this? Why does anyone care? All we are doing is prolonging any sort of cultural capital that the the monarchy has. We need to move on completely. Now, as you will hear in the next episode of this podcast, I spent a little bit of time because I'm going down uh, talking about Dominic Perrottet in the Nazi uniform, which is very funny. And if you, there was a report that came out like two weeks ago. It's from Harry's book. If you've read Princess Harry's book, by the way, turn this podcast off immediately. I don't want, if that's what you think is a worthwhile use of your time and energy, please, I don't need you here. That's not the kind of community I'm looking to form around this podcast. Um, in the in the book, apparently, and I want to point out, I was not, look, I'm as bad, I'm, I'm on here talking about it. I'm as bad as anybody. Not as, not as bad as someone who's read his book, but I'm, I'm as bad as a lot of people. In, uh, in the book, apparently, he has uh, blamed his brother, for the Nazi uniform thing, he's blamed. He's blamed his brother, the Prince of Wales, and uh, Kate Middleton, the Princess of Wales, at, for basically suggesting he wear a Nazi uniform and him doing it. It's like they, he said I should go as a Nazi, and then they they had a big laugh. They laughed it. They laughed their head off, uh, and 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 that's and that's why I had. That's why I wore it, and I got blamed. Just a reminder, Prince Harry was 20 at the time. This is a 20-year-old man getting angry at his older brother for making a suggestion that he just blindly followed through. Do you need any more indictment of the royals as a brainless, useless bunch who have no decision-making skills whatsoever, who spend their entire life being told to do what they're what to do, been doing what they're told? living as if it's still the 1800s. It's just absolute... Anyway, I don't have... uh, Look, this is the real truth about my perspective of Prince Harry. I know very little about him, but I have an intense visceral reaction to dislike 
any attention he's been getting. We all need to move on. This man killed people in Afghanistan. Let's not forget that. He's essentially a war criminal. Um, I don't think that's true. He did kill them from a helicopter, like a fucking coward. That's uh, M. Fenn with that question. Uh, This next question is from Matt F. (laughs) Look up a vicious rumor including Brett Lee, Kevin Spacey, and a boat now. I don't think I need to look that up. I think we know what the rumor might entail. If not, let me break this down for you. Uh, Kevin Spacey. Um, you know what that guy's famous for now? <laughs> it's not It's not winning an Academy Award, is it? No. It's. Uh, it, it was a twist even more shocking than the end of Usual Suspects. But uh, he did try to deflect that by saying, you know, it's not. It's, it's actually the people are trying to take me down because I'm gay. Not because I, have a, I don't have a problem... They're not worried about the whole consent thing. It's about the homosexuality. That no, uh, Brett Lee. Um, I mean, had frosted tips. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm. You know what I'm getting at? Hey, is that is enough? And what might those two guys do on a boat? Well, I'm going to leave it to your imagination. Now, I've done no research on this, and I don't really... All right, I'll Google it. I'm going to Google it and see what comes up. So, Brett Lee, Kevin Spacey, yacht. There we go. It comes out. Um, Brett Lee and Kevin Spacey on a yacht, Etsy Australia, where you can buy a T-shirt. <laughs> you can you can buy a T-shirt with an illustration of Kevin Spacey and Brett Lee. Neither of them really look like Kevin Spacey or Brett Lee, to be honest. It looks like it, this has taken about... 10 seconds to mock up. Um, it looks a little bit more like Ellen DeGeneres and uh, uh, Paul, Gia- Paul, G- Paul Giamatti. Uh, and it says, spaced out in the spa. Uh, and you can get that from Etsy for $35 in a small to 3XL. Oh, my. And there are 15 sales and two reviews. What do the reviews say? Uh, free Ron Artest, it's time for the Birdman to fly. <laughs> Don't know what that means. Looked good, just unfortunately didn't work well for my friend. Don't know what that means yet. What? Oh, no, they bought from... Oh, it's because... No, that, this is not reviews of... It's reviews of the store. It's reviews of the stores. It's actually... It's a picture of Ron Artest punching a Phoenix Suns player in the face. You can also get that from Etsy for $35. So uh, lots of options on the Oz Sports Sensation shop on Etsy. What else? Uh, Mortarimuth file, three men and a boat. What happened on the party cruise all those years ago between Kevin Spacey, Brett Lee, and High Sheridan? Um, uh, okay, Google it. No, Brett Lee is rumored to have had sex with Kevin Spacey. Yes, okay. Um, all right, I want to. I want to put that. That last bit was in inverted commas. I'm not saying any of that. I'm not. I'm. I'm only. I'm asking questions. I'm only asking questions. Um, and, and, uh, this last one that was from, uh, uh, Matt F and this is from MF, uh, the suspected brawl between Michael Clark and Carl Stefanovic. Uh, you know, those are, these are three really, really great questions. Michael Clark and Carl Stefanovic. I don't want to look into this either. Uh, my algorithm is getting fucked by all the bullshit I'm looking up on this podcast. Uh, Carl Sanderlands. And Michael Clark. Uh, I, I'm going to presume two. Kyle Sanderlands off Michael Clark's row with Jade Yarbrough as part. I'm not going into this. Disappear forever. Kyle slams celebrity ball. Kyle and Jackie O weigh in on explosive Michael Clark and Kyle Stefanovic fight. Uh, Michael Clark and Kyle Stefanovic brawling in a public park over an alleged cheating scandal. Kyle Sanderlands and Jackie O hand. Uh, you know how I. I 
having my cake and eat it too. I'm not going to look into this as I f- uh, just swallow everything on news.com.au. Taylor and Jackie O. Henderson have echoed the thoughts of the nation, which claims they disappear forever if they're featured in footage, anything like the Michael Clark Jade Yarbrough scandal doing the rounds today. So on Kiss FM this morning, Shock Jock uh, Sanderlands, who was close friends with both Clark and today host Carl Stefanovic, said he nearly died on hearing the wild stash that broke out of these. Did I say Stefanovic or Sanderlands? Stefan, I was thinking Carl Sanderlands this whole time. I Googled the wrong thing. Carl Sanderlands. Carl Stefanovic. Carl. Clark's ex slams Aussie Great's true nature amid wild cheating claims. Clark's explosive Carl Stefanovic spray. This is so shit. This is like B list celebrities at their worst fighting in a park. This is too. Uh, uh, let's break this down this story. Uh, embarrassing news acre and former cricket player fight in public park. This is the most depressingly Australian story I've ever heard. This is, this happens every single week of like loud mouth Aussie and cricketer drink too much goon and have one in the park is a picture of Michael Clark with his shirt off. Uh, Jade was seen slapping Clark and accusing him of cheating on her. Clark has heard to say to the TV about Carlos, I can tell you now, C-word, don't you fucking look away. She can. She can punch me, but you can't. You, C-word. You piece of shit. You don't fucking speak to... Oh, man. This is... This is... This is not... This does not behoove the former Australian cricket captain. I'm going to go back and watch that Phil Hughes... Uh, I'm, I'm going to go back and watch that... Um, Phil Hughes eulogy after this, just to wipe the taste out of my I quite like Michael Clark. This is a real shame. Well, those are three great questions. I mean, uh, three great questions from three separate listeners. Uh, I got Sam Bowden, who has asked me, you better talk about the monkeys. Sam Bowden and I went to see the Arctic Monkeys on the weekend. It was excellent. They are such a good band. They're one of the, possibly, the Arctic Monkeys might be the greatest band in modern history. I think the greatest band to come out since the 2000s, Arctic Monkeys. I don't know who else. Who else is even in the conversation? Black Keys fall fallen away. Kings of Leon have fallen away. Um, I mean, you know, you've got all those, those strokes, the vines. They've all had, like, down periods. The Arctic Monkeys keep hitting number one album every single time. They've maintained their kind of cr- their cred. They haven't gone too poppy like a Maroon 5 or whatever, that kind of bullshit, like... They 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 have credibility. They have hits. They got deep albums that have like deep cuts in them. They've got a strong fan base. What an act! Put on a great gig at the Sydney Domain last week. And the biggest thing I came away thinking from all that was there are so many attractive women here. Why can't comedy fans be like music fans? Comedy fans, now, granted, if you're listening to this, you're probably a comedy fan, and I appreciate the support. You are also probably a little lame. Is that fair to say? As am I. I am by no means a particularly cool guy. But seriously, go to a concert and then immediately go to a gig and be overwhelmed by the difference in attractiveness of the general crowd. Now, obviously not you guys. I'm sure... Uh, my fans uh, are the exceptions that prove the rule, but oh god, the, the you, you go to a concert of like a semi cool band and you just look around and think, ugh, where were you at my show last night? 
Where were you when the uh, Geordie guy, who probably has just a little, just a touch of the old Asperger's, uh, was was having a direct conversation with me in the front row while his girlfriend looked on shocked? Where were you? Because uh, you certainly weren't at that gig. Uh, comedy sesh, uh, which is obviously some kind of Instagram page. I don't know what this is. Um, has asked, describe your process of writing comedy. Thank you, comedy sesh, for that incredibly boring question. Look, I'll go into it all the same because uh, beggars can't be choosers. I was begging for some uh, some goddamn questions. I got them, and here I am rinsing them for it. Uh, comedy writing process. I write every single morning. Every morning I get up. And I uh, write for about an hour. I uh, That's not true. Ideally 45 minutes, realistically. I, I wake up, I go to the gym, I come back, I get a coffee, I set a timer and I write for 45 minutes in a notebook. Usually it's just like totally blank, starting from scratch, writing whatever I can. Um, occasionally it's like going over old stuff, but I find that harder. I find refining harder than just coming up from scratch. A lot of the time, nothing comes out of it. Most of the time, it's just like you're throwing shit at the wall and hoping some of it sticks. The worst is when you think you have something and you cake it on stage and no one likes it. That's depressing. Um, and then it's just a case of I write and I write and I write. Eventually, I go, if I'm really excited about it, I'll probably test it pretty quickly. It'll be on my mind. Um, otherwise, I'll go through it. I need to do that this afternoon, actually. Go through my notebook with a highlighter, highlight all the stuff that I think has legs, and take it on stage. Tonight, I'm doing this thing called Joke Lab at the Factory Theatre that they're doing on Thursdays at the moment. It's like everyone trying new stuff. People are taking up their notebooks on stage. It's pretty cool. I really appreciate the opportunity to do it and the ethos of it, of like, these are people who know they're here to see brand new stuff. It's not going to be road tested. It's not going to be airtight, but they're going to let you know if there's something in it. So I'm going to take a whole bunch of stuff that I've been working on and just kind of throw it at them and, and see what, if anything, gets a response from, uh, gets, a, gets a response. Um, and then it's just about taking stuff on stage and seeing what works consistently, what, what seems to land. And I think what I need to get better at is when you throw something at the wall and it doesn't stick and going, okay, is there still something in this? Like, can I do something with this or is it just, is, is that just, is that just it? Um, so yeah, that's kind of the process. It's just writing and getting on stage a lot. I think that's something that I really learned last year. You just need to be on stage all the time. You need to be used to having a microphone in your hand. You need to be used to being in front of people, just knowing that, how that feels, what kind of mode you're in, what the mindset is when you're on stage in front of people. There's, there's just no, there's no substitute for it. Um, except writing to make sure that you're always going on with, with new stuff. So there you go. That's my comedy writing process. If you have any other questions, I love talking about that stuff. I don't know if you guys care about hearing about it. If you do, it's there. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's that. Uh, final question. Australians' reaction to rain in summer. That's from Origimax. Uh, thank you for the question, Origimax. Um, look, Origimax, I'm going to be honest, pretty dull question to end on because I have no other ones. But I, again, I appreciate you reaching out. I think it's been interesting. I was away for a lot of the summer, to be fair. Because we've had such shitty summers the last few years, either bushfires or rain or whatever, Sydney siders used to be so entitled to good weather. That was such a thing. We were like, we, we deserve sunshine all the time. And when we don't, we feel personally slighted. I think because we've had a couple of really shitty summers, now when it's a nice day, I don't know if other people feel this way, I feel like everyone is like, 
going out of their way to talk about how nice it is. So I think it's been kind of nice. I think it's been a bit of a reframe for a lot of Aussies. We're not just complaining about stuff all the time. We're, we're kind of enjoying it when uh, enjoying it when it's good, sucking it up when it's bad. It's been a nice it's been a nice change of pace. I think Australians in general we're pretty entitled. We're pretty used to things going our way, and when things don't, we're like, "What the fuck is this?" It's like when we're bad at cricket. When Australia's bad at cricket, they're like, this isn't right. What is it? We should be... What? What do you mean? What do you mean Bangladesh is being competitive with us? What is... What is I regret giving that money to UNICEF now. Maybe I was... Maybe this whole time I've just been bankrolling someone's cricket lessons, putting us up against the wall. It's obviously just a joke. I don't give money to charity. Is that a sufficient enough question? I think that'll do. Look, that's... This is... I'm just playing around with the format. Hey, if you didn't like this... I mean, it was a, it's a tough shit. It's a experimental format. Come, come with better questions. Come with better questions. And hopefully I haven't scared off M. Fen, Matt F. or MF uh, from continuing because we're really leaning on you for, for any and all of this. But, um, hey, thanks, thanks for tuning in for a bit of an experimental, experimental show, some respect Tom was talking. Look, why don't I end with this in, in a bit of a, you know, it's a bit of a different format. How about this? A bit of a recommendation. A bit of a recommendation coming from me. Um, I've got two for you. Number one, if you haven't read any of the books of Gillian Flynn, now, I don't I hope I haven't gotten too highfalutin with you talking about books. You could even listen to it on Audible and say you read it if you really feel that way, if you want to be one of those people. Shame on you, but you can do it. Um, Gillian Flynn wrote uh, Gone Girl, great film, even better book. I, I know I, aren't those people fucking insufferable who say that, people like me right now, but it is. like it, I was so hooked on it. I was... I, I, Read it in like two days. I loved it. And I read it on one of the, over the holidays. It was called uh, Dark Places. Also very good. I uh, I loved it. Easy, easy read. Very gripping. Good stuff. Good kind of like uh, crime mystery fodder. Big fan. Second thing, uh, only murders in the building. I don't know if you. I don't know how people people are across this. It was pretty big in the states. It's on Disney Plus. Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez. Uh, play three neighbors who start a true crime podcast together to try and understand a murder that happened in their building. It's great. I thought it was going to be a little bit too kind of family friendly. It's got some. It's got some edge to it. It's got a bit of bite. It's it's dark. There's this one episode in particular that was kind of like I wouldn't say a gimmick episode, but a kind of a, a concept episode that uh, I think it's like episode eight uh, to do with uh, one of the one of the characters who's deaf. I won't go into too much more detail. Give it a listen. It's good. And if you've given it a read or watch, give those a read and a watch. Let me know what you think. Um, and yeah, I, let me know what you thought about this episode. Did you enjoy the Q&A format? Did you, did you think it was good? Did I answer your question? Hey, if you asked a question and didn't listen to this, fuck you, all right? That's not the point. The point is that I'm trying to engage with you. Don't ask a question you don't want the answer to. So if you have any other questions or if you want some advice, you know, that thing that podcasters do where they're like, I'll give you some advice from my perspective. I know I haven't had a serious relationship since I was 14, but ask me about what you should do with your wife. Uh, you know, do that. Ask me a question. Ask me for some advice. I might do this once a month, maybe more. We'll see how it goes down. Until next time, in a very short and snappy episode. This has been Show Some Respect. Tom Whitcomb is talking. I need to get to 100 episodes this year, so I need to find ways to bulk out some time. This is how I'm doing it. Thank you for listening while I bulk out time. Isn't that disrespectful? Anyway. Have a great week. New episode still coming out Tuesday. Two episodes, three episodes in, in eight days. 
Aren't you a lucky bunch? See ya. Thank you.